The Plumley Pod, episode 18. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. And welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and this week's guest is Sarah. She's self-employed, a wife, and a mother of two from London, England. That's London, England, UK. Welcome, Sarah. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Very well, thank you. Nice to speak to you. Yay. I've been so excited. I have been really looking forward to this because every time I speak with you, whether it's after a class or whether it's uh, after a webinar, I, I learned so many things from you and I'm like, wait, 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 don't say that. I need, I need to have this on record. I, I need people to hear this. Um, you've, you've had a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful start, in, in my opinion, to your home education journey. And first of all, well done. Um, you've, you've, you've done some fantastic things and I'm, I'm really excited for other people to hear what, what you've been up to. So before we dive into the really, really exciting stuff, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your de- how you came to the decision, first of all, to, to home educate your eldest, please. Well, my oldest was one of those children that really kind of came alive in the lockdown. I kept um, kind of trying to to drown out the noise from other parents saying, oh, when are the schools going to open? When can my kid get back? Because um, my husband and I really enjoyed having our children at home. I will have to say that it's probably because we were on furlough as well and we were very lucky to be able to be home with them and um but um yeah she you know she came alive and this is how I, you know said this is how I'd like to be educated she knew that it may be a possibility because um um she didn't know other people who were home educated so I know for a lot of families it's not even vaguely on a radar but it it kind of had been for us um and she agreed to go I think that was in year five and she did agree to go back to year six because she found out she had um a really great teacher. Um, again, she was repeating um, nice teacher again. Um, and then, yeah, finished the, yeah, finished the, the, the primary school and then said, I don't want to go to secondary school. <laughs> and we wanted to, um, we were thinking about, you know, what was going to be the best move and how do you let an 11-year-old make such a monumental decision <laughs> as uh, with their education. Particularly, I think that you told me that you'd spent some time getting her into a particular um, secondary school. Was that, um, I, I think there was some effort that had gone into uh, the decisions to perhaps pick a quite a nice secondary school for her to, to get to? Yeah, we had gone down their um, sort of selective school route and it had been, I guess, a sort of, you know, a couple of year sort of process and um, it's the sort of school that my husband said, you know, some parents would sell a kidney to get their kids in. So um, having, yeah, having sort of gone down this route and thought, oh, this is where we're, this is where we're going, we're kind of a little bit stumped as to, you know, what to do. But also knowing at the back of my mind that, you know, we had a, we had a line in the sand as far as um, <clears throat> mask wearing in schools, and that wasn't something that we were going to be. Um, wanting our, our child to be doing um but at that time you know start of secondary uh September 2021 um that wasn't wasn't an issue at the start um so she she went first day um she came home said it was great she said uh she didn't say it was great she said I made friends um the school grounds are amazing. The facilities are really good. Uh, the teachers are nice. Even the strict ones are nice. But this is not how I want to learn. And um, she actually pointed out even some some sort of propaganda, I think, on the first day that they were already starting with at school because she could smell things. And um, she said, this is not how I want to learn. She, she wrote us a letter. Can you remember what it was? Can you remember the propaganda? Um, what was it? What made her think, hang on a minute? Yeah, they showed them a video and they linked climate change to pandemics and to extinction, I think, you know, species extinction and with pandemics. And I think she just thought, oh, hang on a minute, what's going on here? There's something wrong with that. It can't be true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she's, yeah, she's quite a smart cookie. Um, and yeah, she, she wrote us a letter with all these sort of bullet points as to how um, 
she didn't want to learn in a class of 30 children. She didn't want to be in school for seven hours a day, six hours a day, whatever it is. And um, we found it, you know, I didn't, she didn't want to study that many subjects. And um, as parents, we had maybe the hardest decision really um, to make um, because, you know, it does, it, it can fit, you know, as I said before, it's a very big decision, um, you know, for an 11-year-old to make. And also, I suppose I felt that perhaps I made, I was allowed to make a decision at that age with my schooling and I think I didn't make the right decision. So that was, it was sort of a loaded, a loaded, um, a loaded thing for us. But it just went on for for a couple of weeks and uh, I think she was, yeah, she was three weeks in uh, before we wrote a letter. Um, we said, you know, you le- you've at least got to try it, you've got to try it. And um yeah, but so three weeks later, um, she was out. We deregistered her, um, pulled her out the next day. And that happened to be the first day they started to ask the um, children to wear masks. And she said she was the only one in her year group wandering around um, without a mask as well. So not really conducive to making friends. Yeah, for somebody of 11 years old to be the only person uh, doing something different, that must be extremely difficult. No matter how confident and effervescent she is, I think that's a really difficult ask, isn't it? Yeah, because you know, I've got friends who've got older teenagers who, um, you know, they weren't happy about it. Um, you know, they're older kids, um, you know, being in that environment, but they've already made their friends. They've already, they know their surroundings, they know their teachers, they know what's going on, they know what people look like. You know, to be in a large school as an 11-year-old and trying to negotiate, it's hard enough at that age trying to negotiate friendships, isn't it? And imagine not being able to actually read people's faces as well. Do you know, you've just done it again. You've just, you just said uh, they don't know what people look like. Now, I'd completely uh, missed that in, in the mire and mist of all the, all the garbage that has been going on. Of course, if you are going to a new school and you've not been there before with any of these people before, then if they're all wearing masks, you actually can't tell what anyone really looks like. And you don't know anybody because you've not been there before because it's your first time in the new school, in the big school, in the high school, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah, it's not normal. <laughs> what a horrible, horrible situation to find yourself in at 11. That's, uh, that, it hasn't yeah. occurred to me, of course, it's a fairly obvious point, but know what the people even looked like yeah, yeah that's uh, I can't imagine my first day at secondary school not knowing anybody and then not seeing any smiles or or anything like that that would be that's awful yeah it's just no way to treat children yeah so she yeah she just um she was so happy to be out of school and I think probably for about the first month I must have asked her every day are you sure <laughs> are you sure you're happy are you sure this is what you want and and oh maybe it's about three weeks. Just you know, mum, will you just stop asking now? <laughs> I'm really happy. This is really what I wanted. And um, so yeah, and and she just hasn't looked back at all. And we and we haven't, we haven't. It was just when you've sort of grown up in an environment of you know, you know, getting to a good you know, getting into a good school, following that path. Um, it's a it, it just seems that, you know, it's a well-trodden path around you and it's what's expected. And, and once you start to come away from that and realise that actually there's a whole other world out there and this is not how we have to do things, um, it's it's extremely liberating. I wonder if you'll tell us a little bit, I, I, I heard that you, you, you mentioned just earlier that you yourself got to make a decision at 11 about your schooling. I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about that and, and how you think that might have influenced you either one way or, or the other. Yeah, I, I had um, passed a test for a, an independent school um, and my yeah parents had wanted me to follow to the girls' school where my uh, brother had gone to the boys' school. and um, But I just sort of flat, <laughs> flat out refused. I really didn't want to go to a single-sex school. I think that was a big um, thing that was off-putting for me. Um, and, you know, growing up with brothers and... Um, and I wanted to go with my local friends to the to the local comprehensive. Um, and sadly, the local friends I went with ended up, you know, not being really the local friends. And I had uh, sort of three or four years of um, quite serious bullying. Um, and that, I mean, that can happen any anywhere, and it can happen in any in any environment. Um, but it just so happens that you know, 
put my foot down to go with the friends who ended up not being friends and making my life pretty hell for a few years. Um, so, yeah, that's why. And I'm, you know, speaking to my mum about it now when we were going through this this process, um, you know, she felt exactly like uh, like we did, as, you know, having to listen to your child and, and realising, you know, if you push them to do something that they're really unhappy with, um, that can just massively backfire in years to come. So, yeah, that's why it was a very loaded one for us. Yeah, the peer pressure and bullying in schools is something that not a lot of people want to talk about. They, they'll talk about it if it's a, a particular narrow variety, uh, which I won't bore every, anybody with because everyone knows what I'm talking about. But I think the the the, the bigger problem with um, bullying is this this kind of impression that oh, it's uh, it's it's banter, it's just it's just fun. I, I I feel that as a teacher, there's a lot of things that are tolerated that oughtn't be tolerated between so-called friends. Uh, in in schools, in actual fact, the bullying tends to take place within, not without, friendship groups. It takes place inside. What, if 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 you will, if if you're happy to, will you, can you tell us a little bit more about how it impacted your academic career? Yes, I mean, I was someone who wanted to learn. You know, I was probably one of those nerdy primary school kids. Well, who used to ask for extra maths homework? <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying that to a maths tutor. <laughs> um, but and then going to the yeah, I, there was a um, there was a stigma attached to you know being a good student, and um, I do actually remember, you know, doing writing some wrong answers in some tests at secondary school because I just didn't want to get um, top marks or you know I didn't want to um, to appear to be nerdy. You know, it seemed like a I think it's more a much more acceptable perhaps now to be studious. I don't know. Um, but it, yeah, I, I did specifically write wrong things, and I knew my my teacher knew actually. You know, sort of looked at me when she handed back the. Um, I think it was biology, um, and she she knew that I knew the answers, and she knew that I had you know deliberately put the wrong answers. I think um, so. Yeah, I suppose it impacted in that way that you know just I just wanted to fit in um, with the crowd. Did that teacher never take you aside and ask why you'd done it privately? No, no. I think in you know one of those massive uh, schools, I think they're just so pressed for time, aren't they? Um, I was probably you know probably you know making some sort of cries for help in a way with the whole bullying thing along the way, but it, it doesn't usually get you know picked up. And as you say, it's, it's much more insidious if it's within friendship groups. And um, so having all that <clears throat> behind, you know, it is it is then hard as a, you know, a parent to then be pushing your child into to an environment that could be like that um, when you've got that experience yourself. Uh, so it definitely did definitely did shape shape my views on 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 schools and and you know the decision to to home educate. In a larger school, it is always more difficult to make sure that everybody is is well looked after, both academically and you know socially. But it it's still a, the responsibility of the school to make sure that you know we're always forever getting safeguarding rammed down our throats, be we parents, teachers, coaches, whatever. But um, it's it's very. I just don't think it's good enough that this this kind of thing is allowed to go on. And it, in particularly in the larger schools where there are a greater number of students, there is much more of this. It's far more prevalent than people want to talk about and people would like to admit to. So really, it's always an awful thing to hear when, you know, students are sort of handicapping their own academic careers based on these so-called friendship groups. It's a, an absolute travesty. Um I know that you you have something you had something wonderful to tell me about uh, the differences that you noticed between your GCSE French and your A level French. Could we dig into that a little bit? Could you could you tell us uh, about your your observations between the differences in in standards, please? Um, yeah, actually, just just before I said, I will uh, say that you know, having uh, grown up such a long time ago and before <laughs> being at school before social media, I do think that you know, with the, the bullying, it, I probably. I wouldn't quite have survived had it been so had there been social media at that time as well that could have bothered you outside school at least outside school was outside school and that was you know nowadays it's just far more pervasive and invasive so um yeah that was a different thing but yeah I so I did um 
Um, there were a couple of things with the, uh, in my school. With well, I I I got one of the top marks for French GCSE um, in my in my school. Um, I had wanted to. I'd really wanted to study a second language, and um, but in the first year of secondary, you had to be. Um, you could only go and study. Was it German? I think in the second year, if you were really good at French in the first year, and I wasn't so good at French in the first year, but I really wanted to go and study German. Um, I liked the idea of languages, and my older brother was learning German, and I thought oh, this would be fun to have a second language. Um, the school wouldn't allow it. My parents asked and said, "Look, she's really keen. Could you try her?" No, absolutely not. And that was it. I wasn't allowed to learn German. I ended up getting, you know, one of the highest highest marks for my GCSE French. Um, and then I did switch schools to um, for my A levels, and I went to a private school. And I found myself with um, then studying A level French with um, most of the children that had been to had been private throughout and to prep schools. And they had sort of four years French on me because they'd have started French at prep school. Um, so that was a um, quite a challenge to to catch up. Is that what you meant with the difference between GCSE and A level? Yeah, or? for sure. You um, you were talking about the uh, different exam papers, the different exam boards, because people aren't very well aware of this. But lots of parents are not really sure what what the difference is between the exam boards. Uh, but I, I think there was a story you told me about dinner at your teacher's uh, place and, and the, the wonderful um, blatant differences between how you had been studying and, and you know, what was kind of expected now. Oh, yes. I mean, it, yes, it was very different, at the, you know, uh, for, for A-levels at a, a private school. I think they, the example they chose was probably one of the more challenging ones. It, it was, certainly wasn't a case of, oh, you know, choosing a, an, an easier exam. Uh, and the A-level that was, we did was um, had um, French literature as well. And so we had um, our um, French literature A-level teacher um, would have evenings and invite us to dinner <clears throat> regularly at his, um, well, you know, several times we'd have dinner at his house. Um, and he'd cook French food and we would have to talk in French and we'd have to talk about the books we were reading. And so it felt very grown up at 17 to be discussing Balzac around, you know, it was a very grown up kind of dinner party, but for A-level students. Um, so that was a quite a difference <laughs> from GCSE, French, a comp. <laughs> You don't say. It's uh, <laughs> great to hear that there's, there's some real teaching taking place. I think people are, you know, blissfully unaware that, for example, in Germany, if, if you are German and you are learning English, of course, you'll be learning English. It's a very important subject if you're in Germany. They're at A-level, they are reading Shakespeare. You know, nothing like that was happening mm. in, in the uh, comprehensive sixth form that I attended. Uh, we were lucky to be talking about where we were going on our holidays and, you know, please can I have uh, extra fries with that burger? That was the kind of standard of German mm. that we were learning. And that was this, and that was marked and graded as the same A-level as, as students who are in the equivalent reading Shakespeare. And it's, it's not the same thing at all. I don't think people are enough aware of, of the differences between some exam boards. And it's not a case of this exam board is the most difficult and most challenging across all of the subjects either. The different exam boards are more or less challenging in, across different subjects. And it's something that is completely missed. It's often missed by employers. It's almost always missed by parents. Teachers tend to be more aware of it, particularly if it's in a core subject where it, you're competing against other schools. So some schools deliberately choose easy exam boards in order to get uh, more points for the you know the the table the league tables the rankings and whatever but it, it you have to question whether or not that's what's best for students and in in an awful lot of cases it really isn't so the differences that you talked about between um getting the top grade at, at GCSE French and doing extremely well to to um you have to go into a, a private schooled for uh, French A-level and finding it, uh, you know, you're suddenly read, being required to read French literature. How did you, how did you cope with that? How did you make the leap? What did you do to support yourself? Well, I, I had to have a, I had to have a French tutor. <laughs> that sounds crazy, doesn't it? All of a sudden, my parents are paying for a private education. And they've, if you think about that four years difference of French that kids have had from seven to 11, 
say they've had or whenever they're learning a language in prep school I don't know exactly when it is um it's you know you can if if you can master the basics of a, of a language then at that such a young age then you're going to progress um much quicker um so it does take a long time to catch up so I yeah I did need um I did you know I was um one of the um um the the bottom you know I found myself going from the top of GCSE to completely the bottom of an A-level um group and and needing extra tutors and um you know I did I did well and I ended up getting a place at uni to study <coughs> French um which I didn't take up but um I seem to have a, a flair for languages and something that I've continued to to dabble in learning other languages as as an adult um I found it sad that you know despite um ask you know parents asking could I learn another language at school it was just flatly refused yeah you know how how it can be decided at the age of 11 12 oh you're not good enough at languages and then you know to end up being someone who who could have gone to to uni and studied it so you know it's beyond it my is lunacy <laughs> let's be frank it is lunacy uh, German and French are two completely different language systems. Mm. Uh, German has much more in common with English, whereas French has much more in common with Latin and Italian. They're completely different systems of language. And to, to, to say that, oh, you can't study this one because you're you're not good enough at that one is, is, is literally insane. And yet it's not unusual. Mm. It wasn't just your school. There are, there are lots of schools doing this. At my high school, we had, it was a, at the local comp, we had... Um, French from year seven, but German didn't start until year eight. And then uh, by the time you hit year nine, if you weren't in the top set for French, or at least the top two sets, you couldn't be in the top set for German because of the timetabling, nothing to do with ability, just just because the timetabling didn't work. So uh, as somebody who struggled more with French than German, I was in the top set for German, but I was in the third set for French. Uh, I had to get my French up in um, year, year eight in order not to be kicked out of the German set. It was it was it was lunacy, and it's, it's still going on. It's still we're doing it. We're still doing these things today to the children right now. It's, yeah. it's beyond beyond insane. And I want to pick up on that thing that you said about the prep school. Yeah, absolutely. Having those extra four years, five years, whatever of learning French before the comprehensive students get started is a massive advantage, but not just because they've had four extra years of the language, but because of the age at which they started. The younger you start, the the more chance you have of being brilliant at foreign languages. We know this. Mm. This isn't, you know, this is, they'd love to go on about settled science. Well, let's talk about some educational settled science. The younger you are, the, the better the opportunity for, for picking up language intuitively. And, you know, it's one of the reasons that the private schools do start much, much younger with um, with their languages. And it's something that just gets completely ignored. The kinds of provisions that are happening in primary schools that are, are not, that are state maintained, i.e. not paid for by the parents. Some of it is absolute, it, it's, the, the standard is, is garbage. We're not, we're not even um, trying to, to play catch up. We're not playing on a, a level playing field. We never are, of course. But the way in which some of the lessons are structured for those young people just isn't good enough. And, and I think a majority of primary schools aren't actually doing any languages at all. They are leaving it until... I'm not seeing much evidence of it. Um, with one of my uh, jobs, I have visited um, primary schools. And um, yeah, I've asked the children and it doesn't seem to be um, happening. I know in, in, in our own primary school, um, they were supposed to be learning French and I think they got as far as sort of, you know, um, hello, goodbye and some parts of the body and perhaps seasons. And um, there was, they couldn't string a sentence together or, or even even really have, I don't think it was something that was um, done regularly. It's all one of those things that it's... it's um, like music and the arts, it's it's dependent on the teacher. And if the teacher's not confident enough, um, and teachers are stretched, aren't they? They're expected to do so many things and be so many things. And if if they don't necessarily have um, the confidence to learn alongside the children or to be one step ahead, because I think that's probably what it needs with the, with the language, you know, to be at least be able to be ahead of the children. If, if they're not, then it's the confidence isn't going to be there to... Um, but I, yeah, I was su- surprised to to hear that 
my daughter was supposedly learning French in school, but I didn't see really any evidence of it. It's not uncommon. And, and the, like you say, the, the people are basically, the teachers are not properly qualified to do it. Many of them lack confidence as well. They are overstretched. They are busy. There's no question about that. You're totally right. They are, they do have far too much to do. You're, you're spot on. But having said that, mm-hmm. if we're claiming to be providing uh, languages education for young people, then we have got, we have to do better. It is not acceptable to, you know, to learn a bunch of vocab, learn a page of vocabulary and be able to point out body parts. I mean, what's that going to do? What's that going to do when you visit France, when you visit Germany? It's not, this is no way to, um, you know, present languages to children. It's, it, it needs to be done by subject specialists and if not, at least by teachers who are willing and who want to to stay one step ahead of the children and, and learn just ahead of them so that they can provide some, you know, some reasonable uh, language tuition. It's I, I it's so disappointing to hear that the same mistakes are being made, you know, decade after decade after decade. What we're saying here really is not, not very much has changed at all. We're paying lip service to the arts, lip service mm-hmm. to music, lip service to languages. And it wouldn't be so bad if we were doing so brilliantly in other things such as mathematics and um, English, but we're not. We're not actually mm-hmm. doing any better in these subjects. So it seems to me that we've sacrificed some of the um, other things like art, music, languages. For what? For nothing. Because we're not even doing better in literacy and numeracy and science and whatever. And um, one other uh, thing you said about having a, a private tutor when you uh, switched to the private school. So you'd done, you'd got one of the top grades in in the country in French, which is a fantastic. Oh, not in the country, achievement. no, just in the school. <laughs> well, it, you probably you probably will find that you'll be in one of the top percentages if you've done that. Because if you take the, the very very top of each school, then you're not going to be far away. You're not going to be very far away. You might. You know, if, if you get the top grade, what is it, 9% in the country, 9, 10% of the, of the whole country get awarded the top grade. So you probably, okay. you know, you're probably a lot further on than, than, than you might think. We don't we don't tend to give away, I think that uh, level nines in mathematics, the new A star star or whatever it's supposed to be, is, is given at a, somewhere between 5 and 7% of the whole country. So it is a, you know, it's a massive achievement to score an A star or an, back in the day it might have been an A. Um, but that, that, you know, if you're scoring the top grade, you are doing extremely well. But then to find yourself thrown into a much harder examinations board at a private school, it's not mm. unusual to, to require a tutor to help you catch up that time, not just the time that you missed, but the fact that you didn't get it from a young enough age, unlike the, the privately educated uh, children. Yeah. And the same happens in mathematics, believe it or not. I, I, as a private tutor, I was stunned that I was approached by children's parents uh, that, that were sending their children to private school. So they're paying a fortune for a private education and then want a maths tutor on top. But that happens, and for some of the same the same reasons, it's not unusual. It's if if parents are in, into education and their children are too then I find that they're willing to invest in that because smart parents who understand the value of real education are willing, they see it as an investment in their child's future. And that's, it's, you know, it's, and it's, it's a self-fulfilling cycle then because you, you, you invest in it um, financially, but you also invest in it in terms of uh, your, your confidence and, and, just the backing, having your children know that you're you're backing them financially, you're supporting them, you're you know you're giving you're providing a extra help in in a subject they want to do better in. It's a really positive, um, you know, it's a bit like having a great coach or you know being singled out for extra special attention in music or something. It really makes you feel and do better just because of the attention that that you're being paid. Speaking of which. Um, I wanted to ask you about. Um, I know that, that there's there's something there's something special in your family. There's there's drumming. There's some kind of drumming that takes place. Some kind of education in drumming. And I was just wondering if you, if you might dig into some of the things that you might have noticed in in primary schools whilst doing drumming, if you will. Yeah, one of the things I do is visiting primary schools, um, doing whole class um, drumming and percussion projects, and um, just noticed over the years. Um, my husband does this as well, and we've noticed that it's um, very the the level of ability of children being able to keep just a steady beat. Um, it's just got lower and lower, and it's really it's really worrying because I think just generally the level of music education in schools is is it's just such a neglected neglected sub- subject. So yeah, I'm I'm often in a in a class with. Um, let's say in a year three class um and they can't even just keep literally a four beats a, 
a steady pulse. Um, and that just really concerns, <laughs> that really concerns us. What's concentration like? What's concentration and behaviour like? Oh, hmm. be honest. Um, be honest. It's, it's, it's hard. I, I often find myself, you know, looking at a, a few children who, who are there, well, you know, several children who, who really want to learn, who are, um, and bear in mind, this is an exciting thing that, you know, we go in for 45 minutes to do something that's, you know, that's not maths and English and not, you know, a visiting teacher. And um, it's um, even even with doing something exciting like that, still the level of concentration is can be really poor. Um, and, you know, you've got some children looking at you who really want to learn. They're really wanting to do it. And there are always at least half a dozen children with um, all sorts of attention and perhaps, you know, attention elsewhere, perhaps behavioural issues or... Um, just not wanting to do it um and it's very it's very difficult for those children um and that's as a parent you see those children and you think mm, my child could be in a class like this they could be one of the ones sitting there waiting patiently and um you you had a really eye-opening um thing when I was on your um maths class for for parents where at the beginning um, you put some sums on the board for us to do and then asked us to write them down and do them and then wait. And of course we did, we, we all did them really quickly and thinking you were completely silent and thinking there was a lot of dead time there, wasn't there? And you did it um, purposely, didn't you, to show us that that's what happens for, for children who get things really quickly. There's that waiting time for other children to get. And it was kind of those two things, seeing it in the classroom um, of those children really wanting to learn and then experiencing that as an adult. And you realise, oh, my goodness, how much of the day can be like this for children who want to learn, who are prohibited by um, all sorts of issues going on in the classroom and disruptions. And, um, yeah, I mean, even in a even in a 45-minute class, it's so many busy things can be can be happening you've always got several children being pulled out at a time to go in to go and read or to have some kind of intervention work with another member of staff so the continuity is not there <clears throat> um and yeah it's, it's, it, it is a real challenge um there are also some physical things I've seen over the years um with teaching um like ukulele Sim- simple thing with um, kind of finger dexterity that children are really struggling um, and I've seen that over over the years um, how that's kind of gone you know the, the level of ability what what we were able to to teach some years ago um, is taking a lot longer for children's I don't maybe that's a lockdown thing I, I don't know um, I don't know I don't think we can blame everything on the, on the last two years <laughs> So you're saying that you've seen a, a degradation in children's ability to to make shapes, make chords. Is that is that how that works? Yeah, yeah, just yeah, just finger shapes and yeah, and the sort of dexterity of of um, perhaps muscle tone as well. Um, whether yeah, maybe they're. I, I, it's difficult to it's difficult to pinpoint what it really is, but I've definitely noticed it and spoke to other teachers who've noticed it as well. Well, I'm an old battle axe, so I would say it's too much time spent messing around on the computer games and not enough time outside climbing trees, you know, using your fingers actually for physical things. You know, I used to make mm-hmm. things out of bits of old wood that I found and, you know, nail them, nail a treehouse together. We literally did those things as children. We were constantly using yeah. our hands in, in lots of different ways, lots of different shapes, not just repetitively pressing a couple of buttons. I know I'm a bit of a, an old sort of stickler about computer games, but I, I think I think I have a little bit of a point. <laughs> When I hear, yes. you know, someone like yourself, when I hear someone like yourself telling me that, you know, uh, things that you used to be able to do, um, chords, whatever, they're not physically able to do these things now. Um, we, you know, that that we need to we need to seriously look at what we're doing here. Is that we're losing all of this this uh, value, this culture, the, uh, you know, this history because we're um, settling for what's easy and, and what's readily available rather than perhaps what's a bit more difficult. Allowing your kids to go out and you know make tree houses and make a mess and get dirty and, and whatever. Um, I just you mentioned about uh, the, the time wasting as well. 
And I, I, I don't feel good about doing that, but I do. Yeah, come to come to maths with me and I'll waste your time as an adult. Yeah, I do kind of do that. Um, I, I, the very first lesson I teach, I do set some questions and, and just show you how long some students can take to answer just four questions when everyone else is waiting to get into the learning. How do we do this? How do we improve our technique? And that's just one tiny example of, of that compounds over your child's day in school. So if you do have a son or daughter who wants to learn or is interested in learning, uh, you know, a handful of, of subjects really well, they are being hampered. Even, even in the best of schools with the best of intentions, people do learn at different rates. And, and I mean literally in terms of speed. And, you know, some children who are very fast will be very slow at other subjects. It's not just a case of, oh, these are the bright ones there, oh, it's quick. It depends what it is, actually. And, and those variations happen even within subjects that are set from a very young age, that are set by ability. And it is a, it's a huge, huge problem. So whilst I feel a little bit guilty for wasting adults' time when they've come to learn maths, I think, I think it gets its own payoff when they realise that actually this is what life is like for my son or daughter every single day. Uh, is, is it something I should continue to do? Oh, definitely, yeah. Because we don't get that we don't get that opportunity to learn that lesson in this. You know, I, I found that was just one of the things that really stuck in my stuck in my head. We should talk about magic as well. I think this is something that parents seem to parents who have an inkling that that, that things are not right at school uh, and would really love to have their children, you know, educated to a great standard. They're willing to invest a bit of time in it. They seem to be afraid that they're worried about withdrawing their children from school. And to me, it seems to be that they think that teachers are magic. Some teachers are magic, but not not really in the kind of magic, magical sense. They're magic in that they work extremely hard. They care very much. They spend a lot of their own time, energy and resources doing things that many other teachers won't or don't do. But in, in real terms, children learn to read. The magic is in the child. It's not in the teacher. There is no magic system for teaching you how to read. There is no magic system that we learn at teacher training college and then teach children how to do maths. That's not how things are. The, the magic is in the child itself. They have the, the capacity and the ability to, like a sponge, soak up all of this information and, 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 f- and mould it and form it. Um, is that... Talk to me about the fear. Talk to me about that fear, that initial fear. That Because I think, I think you felt... Um, that there was there was magic going on in classrooms that you might not be able to replicate in in the home. Yeah, I think that that was a, a key thing that when when you mentioned that term magic, and I think that's it's it's having the confidence to know that you can um, that you you can create you can um, create magic as well at home. I mean, my husband had a lot of fun with a blowtorch and some sugar yesterday doing some physics lessons with my daughter and that was really fun um well that's something you wouldn't be allowed to do in school thanks to health and safety (laughs) yeah yeah probably yeah (laughs) I think there's um when there's just when you realize that uh, I think it was it was years ago I had met someone who was um home educating and and uh she had said that actually primary education you can more or less there's there's only actually about an hour and 50 minutes I think definitely less than two hours of actual teaching time obviously there is there is fun stuff you know happening as well but there's an awful lot of lining up waiting for this one um so if you think that you could just cover um some of the curriculum yourself um and then spend time doing what you really want to do it's that that opens up a whole, whole other, um, whole other world to children, of not waiting, not waiting around for other children, and and doing the things that you know that they want to do. Um, so I, I think it's yeah, it's it's having the confidence to know that, and certainly doing the um, the maths class with you has definitely increased my confidence to realise that you know this is not that scary actually. <laughs> You can do with a few lessons. Even though I'm really mean and I waste everyone's time. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but it was actually, it was, quite, it was fun doing homework as well. <laughs> it was it was literally only about two minutes, wasn't it, for the first, <laughs> first class. But it, it, it served, yeah, it served a great lesson. <laughs> um, yeah, so magic, I think, I think there is, it's seeing how, um, I mean, it's seeing the small, in schools, it's seeing the small things of, um, they seem really small things, but it can be really big things for 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 children. I remember having a 
um, an awful situation with our daughter, I think in year two, you know, with teachers not allowing children to go to the toilet. There's this whole whole thing in schools of of not allowing children and the teachers. It's it can be a real thing. And as a parent, it's it's horrible to see. Um and you kind of know the kids who are asking to go out perhaps and 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 waste time. But it has become a, a you know a thing of, of well if you haven't been to the loo at break time, that's it. You know, you're spe- you've got, you've had an hour to go. You're not allowed to go now without thinking of logic that um, not everybody <laughs> can manage that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's things like that, that that it's just taking the so much of school I see now is taking taking power away from parents. I think, and um, well, power away from children and their choices, um, and do we really want our children to be um, so compliant, to be just sitting down whenever they're told, doing, I don't know, it's a tough one. <laughs> this toilet business is is ridiculous. <laughs> I can understand to some degree in a secondary school, particularly with the older students who are in their, you know, in their teens, they, they, they know their bodies by then. But I, I can understand in, in that scenario. And also, you know, children can quickly nip to the loo between lessons because lessons usually last an hour or 45 minutes and they, they're changing between different classrooms. So there's opportunity there. But for little children to not be allowed to go to the mm. toilet when they need to go to the toilet mm. is insane. Mm. Why are we Why are we enforcing strict standards about when you can cannot go to the toilet in year two. Mm. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be better to, to have strict standards in mathematics and strict standards in English rather than strict standards about when you go to the flipping toilet? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe I'm too old-fashioned, but I think, you know, parents send children to school not to learn when they may go to the toilet, but actually to learn how to, to not get cheated on their tax return when they're older. I think they'd much rather they learned about percentages than when and when and where you may go to the toilet. Exactly. I don't know, maybe I'm just too old-fashioned, no, but I, I think that. it's an outrage. I really do that poor little children who need to go to the toilet. I mean, you can't concentrate if you need a wee. Mm. Adults can't concentrate if they need a wee. Yeah. It's, it, it's crazy. Everyone's body is different. Basic, isn't it? It's really basic. And like you said, teaching stuff, you know who's trying it on. You know who doesn't need to go to the toilet. They just don't want to do maths. You know who they are. Yeah. We know we know their names. We talk about them in the staff room. Of course we know who those children are. Ridiculous. It, it's, it's a nonsense. And you shouldn't be tolerating, you know, having your poor year two or year three told that they may not go to the toilet when they really, really need to go. It's, it's unacceptable. It's not a teacher's place. You know, they're not in charge of the bodies of, of small children. I think that's, I really find that, um, I, I, don't, I try to not be offended, but it, it's very, very difficult when when little children are being treated in, in that manner. I, I find that I find that very, very difficult to accept. It's highly disrespectful, isn't it? You know, if we're wanting to bring up children to be respectful of others and and to respect their own bodies, um, to not have that bodily autonomy, that's hard. That's hard at age. It's cruel. I think it's cruel. I really do, especially when it's, you know, an ordinarily very well-behaved child who might have just forgotten or something exciting happened at break time and they got carried away. And now we have to make a drama out of, you know, needing a wee rather than, you know, having a a drama lesson and actually learning some useful speaking skills, you know. Mm. I just think that's just outrageous and we should not be tolerating it under any circumstances. I want to ask about the fear, the social kind of aspect around home education. Like, um, how does it when you're a parent who is very involved in education and the, and you're interested in in, in the development of, of our young people what's what's it like when other parents realize that you're thinking of home educating or what what's it like socially i think that's the f- it's always everyone's first first question <gasps> but what do you do about friends but what do you do about you know what i think when we were trying to make the decision um you know, when she'd first started secondary and we were, I was sort of bound, I'm, I'm the sort of person who bounces ideas around lots of people and I will talk to lots of people, get different opinions and um, to help sort of formulate my own, <clears throat> my own opinion. I'm not someone who can go and sit away necessarily quietly thinking it all through. I do like to, to have feedback. Um, and that was the number one thing from everyone was always, but what are you going to do socially? But what are you going to do? Um, and that was for perhaps for our child was was really the the least worrisome thing um she happens to be quite outgoing and and makes friends easily um but even i think um you know in talking to someone else in the um home ed community who 
who was talking about even with children who are, um, it's even perhaps even more of a reason to home educate if you have a more um, introverted child or perhaps a child that's more, uh, could be more with, withdrawn socially because they can get incredibly overwhelmed, especially by a large, you know, secondary school um, and kind of swallowed up by that. Um, so socially it wasn't, well, what, I mean, one of, um, one of our daughter's reasons was I don't need to have, I don't need to have 30 friends in a class. You know, I just need a few friends. And, and I think it's with all things, it's with adults as well. It's, it's, it's quality, isn't it? Not quantity. Um, and the idea that you, I mean, there, there is, there's, there's the argument for, um, having to get a lot, you know, learning in, in school, you know, you're saying in a primary school for all those years with all those children, um, you know, you're learning to get along, aren't you? And, and, and learning to tolerate, um, different children's behavior and different children's, um, attitudes to things. You're, you know, that's a, that, that's a great life skill. Um, then if you're getting to secondary school and, and like our daughter was, was, you know, because of perhaps where her name was in the register, had to sit in every class with, a boy who was just really annoying her every day. <laughs> um, and you don't really, um, you know, it's the sort of thing that in a, um, I'm not really answering your question, but in, in, in a primary school, you have, you have a relationship with the teacher, you have a relationship with the school staff, you know, um, and you know, other parents, don't you at the school gates, you have that, you have a, a very different relationship with that as a parent of, of children in primary than in you do at secondary. Cause what, what could you, you know, how long would you let something go on in a secondary school before you have to try and find someone to contact and say, well, you know what, um, this boy who's sitting next to somebody is really annoying. I mean, you know, it's going to be a hard call, isn't it, to to be to be that parent? Who wants to be that parent that's going to be that annoyed or, or, or annoying to a school? Um, so, yeah, the sort of, you know, put up and shut up um, attitude to to getting on with people um do we do we do a lot of that as adults really is that a great lesson as you're getting older to learn I don't know just throwing that out <laughs> you know we, we we're, we're selective aren't they and, and perhaps we're not um <laughs> respecting our children enough to know that well perhaps it's not you know it's not great for them to be around people they don't want to be around either I don't know whether I've explained it <laughs> No, spot on. I completely agree with you. We 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 don't tolerate other people's bad behaviour as adults. We 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 move on. We we find somebody else to work with, or we find someone else to employ. Somebody who, you know, is is more in alignment with our own personal values. Things that we hmm. we hold dear. Things that we think, no, actually, this is no way to behave, and I'm not going to put up. I think putting up hmm. with other people's bad behaviour is exactly one of the reasons why the last two years went how it did. We yeah. should not have been putting up with that behaviour. We should have been calling it out. And what you know, power mm. to those people who were. And we know, we all know who they who they are. And uh, you know, you're one of them. You're one of the people who are saying, "No, I'm not. I'm not tolerating this. I'm. I, I'll do things my way. Thank you." And I'm not having it. That's. I think. I think I, you're absolutely right. We're teaching the wrong lessons. Uh, we've got to tolerate, you know, little Johnny's bad behaviour. No, we certainly do not. Why should? Why should we? We wouldn't mm. as adults. So why are we being forced to sit next to him in class and tolerate it? No, not at all. I'm with. I'm with you, hundred percent. So um, what? That's like kind of the negative side of it. What about the yeah. positive side? <laughs> now you're right to bring it up. We need to talk about the. We need to have these frank conversations, these honest conversations that we're not having around education. You're spot on, and I'm grateful to you for you know having the courage to raise it. You're completely correct. Um, what about the positive? side then of uh, socialization what kinds of what kinds of things have you been able to take advantage of that you wouldn't have been able to do had had your your eldest daughter been in school um well we've joined a couple of um local home ed groups um and I think one of the at, at first you know when I was looking I was looking to join or sort of having or you know looking to take part in something I was really looking at the whole age thing and thinking oh well it's got to be age appropriate it's got to be you know but how many of the you know year seven children will be in there thinking uh, and actually I've really I've really changed my views on that because of a mixed age group it's really lovely to see children it's a much more natural environment seeing children interact with younger children and with older children and because um you know, Greek we go to, there are siblings. Um, and it's, um, I think it's just much, much more organic in a, in a way that um, perhaps some, you know, rural schools, I don't know whether they still do, you know, can have, um, 
several age groups, can't they, in the same class in a very small school. I think that's they're probably dying out those sort of old-fashioned village schools. Um, and so this whole thought about having to learn or having to do things with just your age group and, and actually seeing that that's really not the case and that it's, you know, it's about what you're interested in, what you're interested in playing. And um, I do see um, with the, you know, sort of home ed community, um, um, one of the positives that you don't think, <laughs> you know, your, your experience is perhaps a, a delay with um, certain things that, um, you know, children growing up with and exposed to. Um, and that's not really to be to be sniffed at the, the you know the freedom to be still running around and that was that was another thing my daughter said she's very she's very active and always at primary school every playtime was was play and she's suddenly gone to secondary school where playtime in inverted commas was lunchtime and 11 12 year old children are on their phones because they were allowed phones in this school. <laughs> um, and it's a, you know, it's a massive, it's a massive shift. It's the wrong, I think it's the wrong time. I think we do it in this country. We probably do everything at the wrong time. We send them to school too early, don't we, at four. Most of the rest of Europe are doing it much later. And then the transition to high school is much later on the continent and in other countries in Europe. So the transition at 11 is, is not a great place, I think, to be um, in a school with with adults of 18, you know. Couldn't agree more. You're dropping your child off and seeing blokes with beards going in. <laughs> Basically, you know, it's, you know, it's a massive difference. Absolutely. You know, between someone who's been doing, having a, you know, imaginary play and a playtime and all of a sudden going into school and, 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 and looking, you know, being with other kids looking at TikTok on their phones. Ah! <laughs> We have we have beards on students and no beards on teachers. It's all wrong, isn't it? It's all it's all, it's, it's it's gone completely haywire. This we've got children teaching young adults. It's this is not this is not how it's supposed to be. It's not a recipe for success. Yeah. And you're completely correct that young eleven year old children feel intimidated in a, a playground or an environment that's a, a sort of free time at school when there are sixteen, possibly seventeen and eighteen year olds if there is a sixth form on site. But let's just say it's up to sixteen. Mm. You've got fifteen and sixteen year olds, young, real young adults, and you're 11 and you still want to play, you're not going to run around and play because, because of the judgment, you fear the judgment of those older children. Whether, it, whether that judgment is real or not, it doesn't matter because to the 11-year-old who's new to the school, they've you know, nev- not been in this kind of environment before, why would you have been with these much older children who have gone through uh, very clear de- developmental stages that you are not yet you know, to get to. I think what, what we're really talking about here is children who are home educated actually have the chance to be children. They yeah. actually have the opportunity the to thing. remain children during their childhood. Wouldn't that be a yeah. great thing? Yeah. I mean, she was going to the to the loo in the secondary school and there's 15-year-old girls vaping in there. And so she felt uncomfortable going to the loo, you know, being around something like that. So now we spend a lot more time out, outdoors and... Um, yeah, there's there's just much more creative play, and yeah, that's the thing. There isn't that intimidation of oh, what you should be doing and what other what other, just because it's the norm doesn't mean that it's you know it's ideal in any way. The norm does not mean that necessarily it's a good thing, as we've all learned uh, over the past two years. If we didn't already know that, yeah, being quote unquote normal is not in fact normal, and it's certainly mm-hmm. not healthy or good for us. Mm. Thank you so much. I. I I love talking with you because you always teach me things, um, and just you, you say the things that I that I, I sometimes can't articulate for myself. Because you're because you're living it, you're experiencing, you're there every single day doing, you know, the things that I'm that I'm advocating. So it's it's lovely, it's lovely to hear that kind of of feedback and and just a relaxed atmosphere. I love your household. I love how you run it. Um, I think crazy you have a lot to offer people. <laughs> You say so, but it's creative and it's it's fun. And you do have times where you sit down and you know maths gets done or French gets done. Like you, I think I think you're doing it the right way. If there is such a thing as the right way, then I think you're you're about nailing it. And I think lots of other people are going to learn tons from you in, in the future as a 
a sort of a pioneer of what I would call new home education. You're not, um, you know, just digging vegetables and singing Kumbaya all day. Um, you, and, and you're not sending your kids to one of these uh, drone bot-like online schools where they sit in front of a freaking computer all day, which is totally unhealthy. But you've got this wonderful hybrid where you have enough creativity and enough structure. And I, I think that's the future of home education. And I think you're nailing it. So well done to you and yours. I hope that that is the future. I'd, yeah, I, it would be nice to be around more people who have that kind of vision, but it does it does feel a little bit new, but I think we're getting there. You're a pioneer. You're one of the first. Yeah, and I felt very supported to take the leap by, um, you know, your being able to chat on a drop-in that you have with um, with other parents and get that kind of support is um, is really valuable, knowing that there's other people going through the same thing that you are. And, and questioning um and you know what you question yourself as a parent anyway whatever you do whatever you do with your kids at school with your kids at home whatever they're doing you're always going to be questioning and second guess and there's always going to be nights when you're going oh I wish I'd have done this or, or why did we do that why did we allow them to do this why didn't we do this that's going to happen whether your kids are in school or out school you know and there's just so much more that you have to come up against I suppose with the whole school system it's 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 more freeing to be to have that control and to and but to have the support of someone, you know, like you, who's offering support to parents is is um, is really key, I think. So thank you very much. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. I can't believe how little uh, there is out there that's of, of any real quality to actually support parents, actually to home educate. Most of it seems to be focused on getting the children back into school or, um, you know, just ignoring parents who are home educating. I think it's the, the provisions from the Department for Education are appalling. The provisions from the local authorities are appalling. And I, it was it was shocking to me as a, as a former classroom teacher to see the alternative is just not, it doesn't even seem to exist. There doesn't even seem to be any anywhere to go what to do. So we're, we're building something thing and you're right I, I really ought to talk about it more often actually I'll get into trouble for this but we have a teacher talk Thursday on a, a Thursday evening uh, I bet you didn't guess that already but um, you know come and come and talk to us there are parents who are doing it there are parents who are thinking about home educating though so they might not be home educating yet there are parents who have one in school and one out there's all, all kinds of people that are coming now and starting to, to share ideas and, and to share thoughts and even just to blow off steam sometimes with other parents who are doing or thinking similar things to you so yeah come on down on a Thursday evening. We do a, a live Zoom chat together. It's a, an informal evening where you can ask anything you like and talk about anything you want. Um, that's, a, you know, it's an, an invitation to those who are members of, of Substack or, uh, or my website. So you're welcome to, to come and join us anytime. Listen, thank you so much for, for sharing all of that stuff this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank Is you. there anything that um, like I've, I've missed out? Like I did, I did take great notes, but I, I'm worried that I might have missed something. That, or Is there something else that you would like to add uh, that I haven't had a chance to cover with you this morning? No, I just think, um, I don't know. If, if, yeah, if we can just, um, it's just, it's fun. It's really, it's really fun. And I think you can, um, you know, there, there will always be challenges. Um, you know, as a as a as a parent of a teenager, um, but there's going to be those challenges if you're in school or out of school. But if you've actually got more time to spend with your child, you're not um, you're not then allowing them to. Um, you know, you, you want an attachment with your child rather than your child um, creating peer attachments that um, supersede your attachment. And I think that's the that's kind of a key thing um, for us, really, is having that um, having that time because you're looking with a particularly you know with a secondary school child of um, you know we know some children who are leaving the house before eight o'clock and not coming back at home until you know five ish um, and how much actual quality time are they going to have at home building that relationship with their parents um, you know seeing the good the bad and the ugly um, and how much of you know in your absence, as if, will there be other attachments formed that, you know, have their own um, nature? I don't know if <laughs> I explained that well, but um, that's been a, definitely a thought process for us. Beautifully put. And I'm, I'm with you all the way on that. In, interestingly, the only thing I haven't ticked off of the things I wanted to ask you about this morning was peer attachment. How spooky. You've completely oh, read. Okay. You must have read my notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, well, thank you very much for raising it. It's, it's vitally important. We must touch on that at a, another opportunity, perhaps for a, another podcast, because it's almost to a topic all on its own. It's a very, very important thing, peer attachment. We have to 
think very carefully um, as, as, as parents, as educators, we do must think about, uh, you know, the challenges around uh, peer attachment. Thank you. Thank I'm you. going to leave it. I'm going to wrap it up with your words um, because I can't, uh, I can't do this any better than you did. Earlier in our conversation, you said it's about quality, not quantity. And if ever, if ever there was a slogan for anything education, anything to do in any manner whatsoever, any way, shape or form, it is quality, not quantity. Thank you very much indeed um, for this morning. I really, really appreciate you. And will you please come back and talk to me again? Oh, for sure. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, we'll do. <laughs> Brilliant. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.